0: The torch
1: of Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. This is the Wall Builders Show. We appreciate you joining us. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach and a former Texas legislator here with David and Tim Barton. David, of course, America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders, and Tim Barton, national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders, You can find out more about all three of us at the website, WallBuildersLive.com, and then also visit our main site, WallBuilders.com. Wealth of information there. You're going to find out about a lot of American heroes at WallBuilders.com, many of which you've never heard of before, many of which I've never heard of before, which has been kind of a fun thing this month, guys, all throughout February, learning about new heroes. So while we've got some Foundations of Freedom Thursday stuff to get to in a little bit, let's start with our hero of the day. Who are we talking about?
2: Guys, the hero today is Blanche Kelso Bruce, and uh, as always, these are things, if people want to go to the wallbuilders.com website, they can download, they can get their own copy of these, and one of the things that we highlight in his story is that he was the first black man to preside over the U.S. Senate. Now, there obviously is way more to his story. Dad, this is somebody that you've highlighted literally for years. We have an old series called American History in Black and White where you document some of the very first Republicans, uh, specifically black Republicans, elected to Congress, elected to the Senate. Uh, you go through Reconstruction and tell a lot of their story. And so Blanche Kelso Bruce is someone that, I mean, really, for decades, before I was doing much with you here at Wall Builders, this is somebody whose story you were telling, and it's somebody that fortunately now is being rediscovered by some. Uh, why is he significant? What, what do you think are the big contributions that people should be aware of from Blanche
0: Kelso Bruce? One of the cool things about him is he has a very visible legacy, and here at Wall Builders, we actually own artifacts from him. They're really cool. For example, I can pull up a, a $1 bill from 1880, and on that dollar bill appears the name Blanche Kelso Bruce. Now, let me interject. It does not look like a dollar bill that I'm used oh, it to doesn't. seeing. That's right.
2: Uh, and the one that's kind of brown, one that's kind of silver, uh, and, and the fact that there are two will be significant in a moment as you tell part of the, the rest of the story— but it it was even interesting to me seeing some of the older currency and how different of a feel that $1 bill had. But what was significant is there was something else special on that $1 bill.
0: Well, that $1 bill is big enough that I probably would have needed a purse rather than a wallet because its it's really large-sized currency back then. So it's signed by him as our currency today is signed. And he was the registrar of the Treasury. He was appointed by President James A. Garfield. And he became the first black man to sign currency. But he went further and he was reappointed by another president, William McKinley, in 1897. And he signed a second series of currency. So here's a black man that in the 1800s signed two complete series of U.S. currency. And if we back up in a story, he... he Uh, was a slave in Virginia and
2: moved around several times. His master moved around and he went with them and he was in Missouri. Uh, Gets a level of education in Missouri. As the Civil War breaks out, he leaves the pro-slavery state of Missouri, goes to Kansas, starts a school in Kansas. At the end of the Civil War, he moves back to Missouri, starts the first school for black students in Missouri. He then ends up moving to Mississippi. Uh, And this is at a time when the state legislature is choosing they're senators to represent the state, and he's in Mississippi. He's chosen to be one of the actually two U.S. senators from Mississippi. He's a Republican. He's the first black man to serve a full six years in the U.S. Senate. There actually was a black man who had received an appointment and had served two years, uh, but he was the
0: first man to serve a full six-year term. So that first one is Hiram Rhodes Revels. He's the first black man to serve in the U.S. Senate. He's a Republican. And so Revels had a partial term. He filled out the last two years of a term because the previous four years, the senator from Mississippi had left the United States Senate and gone to the Confederacy. Well, now Mississippi's back into the United States. And so he's got two years left on that term. So they appointed Hiram Rhodes Revels, the first black U.S. senator anywhere in the United States, came out of Mississippi. And so he finished those two years. And then you have Blanche Kelso Bruce, who's elected as a second black senator, and he has a full six-year term. And it's significant because while he's in the Senate, he uh,
2: meets a congressman, James A. Garfield. And when James A. Garfield goes on to become president, he remembers Blanche Kelso Bruce from time as Republicans working together in the House and the Senate. And this is where Blanche Kelso Bruce get, first gets his appointment to be the Register at the U.S. Treasury Department, and on the story goes. And there's obviously a lot we can highlight and, and tell more of the details of his story, very
0: significant details along the way. But the point is— And let me give one of those details. In that same time where he was working with Garfield, they were both Republicans there at the 1880 Republican Convention, and Blanche Kelso Bruce is actually nominated for vice president for the Republicans in the 1880 race. So there's your first— Black nominee for vice president back in 1880, Blanche Kelso Bruce. From a major political party. From a major
2: political party, that's right. Because when you're looking, I mean, major parties back then, you had Republicans, you had Democrats. Those were the big parties because you did have some third-party candidates. You had some kind of independent kind of candidates. But you're talking about the first one from any major party to nominate a black person. And Blanche Kelso Bruce was nominated to be the vice president However, the guy who ended up winning the nomination in the Republican Party was James A. Garfield. But, but again, I mean, these two guys knew each other, worked together. There's so much more to Blanche Kelso Bruce's story. Dad, you have told a lot of the story. Uh, actually, people can go to the Wall Builders website and there's articles connected to Blanche Kelso Bruce that they can go to American History Black and White. Or you can get one of the bios from the American Hero section and you can learn more about this. But these are some of the heroes And really significant contributors in American history that we should know more of their story, which is why we take time each day on the radio program to highlight some of the stories of these American heroes. So today's hero is Blanche Kelso Bruce, really significant individual from American history.
1: Definitely one that uh, I did not know anything about. him. I've heard David mention him uh, in presentations on on black history but i didn't remember all of those details i had no idea about the i didn't remember david you probably said it and i just didn't remember but i didn't certainly didn't remember the vp thing nom- uh, you know potential nomination thing that that's just cool good stuff guys all right listen we got more of that coming we're going to have one every day for the rest of the month in february in fact this might catch on i hope y'all are doing a lot of homework david and tim because we might have to do this every day of the year uh, after everybody gets excited about all these new heroes of history we're learning about. But let's get to some of those questions. We've got our questions coming in from the audience. Radio at wallbuilders.com is where you send those in, folks. We're going to start with Tom out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. He said, did did the Supreme Court of the United States remove the lemon test after ruling that the coach uh, praying on the field after a football game, this is a Coach Kennedy case, uh, is a constitutionally protected freedom of religion exercise? I'm not clear... On the decades of SCOTUS rulings, influenced by the Lemon Test and undone by this ruling, can I, as a Christian educator here in New Mexico, post faith-based American history quotes and the Ten Commandments in my public classroom? Thanks for reporting this, Wild Builders Radio team, on your Good News Friday program. So, guys, I guess we, we talked about this. Did you guys cover this on Good News Friday? Um, yeah, we did. With regard- okay, that's what it was. We did. I yep. should be listening to my co-host better, audience. That's what was missed. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and and thank you, Mr. Mitchell, for any clarification on court freedom of religious expressions upheld by the Supreme Court. All right, Tom, great question. Sorry uh, for reading that so long, guys. But bottom line is, what did the lemon test do and, and how was that undone? And can Christian educators do this in their classrooms? I, I've got to tell you, this question is an Uncle Remus moment for me.
0: And for those that don't know, that's an old kind of folksy tale. Uncle Remus he would tell all these stories about Brer Rabbit and Brer and there was this one where Brer Rabbit says, "Oh, please now don't." Now wait throw a him. second. Are you saying Brer Rabbit? B R E R Brer Brer like Briar Patch.
2: Don't throw me in the Briar, briar patch. patch. That's Brer it. Rabbit. Okay,
0: and that's where he wanted to be was in the Briar Patch.
2: I, I'm, I'm just I'm making sure there's a little Texas Southern accent coming out. <laughs> wait a and, Wait a minute. And a I'm little. not sure that. I'm not sure all the audience is going to be tracking along. Uh, and, and let's let's back up because this was where where I was first introduced to this individual was a character from the movie Song of the South. It was a, a Disney movie that was in canceled because there was a depiction of slavery in it. And that was uh, offensive in this kind of modern woke thought. Not that slavery wasn't offensive, but if you watch the movie, the movie in itself was was not a really offensive movie. So, so Disney removed this because it's woke, and, and most people probably have not seen this, um, although it is, it really is an entertaining movie. There is some great value in some of the lessons learned along the way, which is where Uncle Remus was one of the black men in this movie. He tells stories and teaches some great lessons along the way. And this is where you have Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear and was it a Br'er Fox? Br'er or, Fox, right, yeah. All these different characters that were involved. So the point
0: you were going to make... Is you feel a little bit like uncle remus why because the the rabbit always was saying oh don't throw me in the briar patch don't throw me there and they finally said well we're going to punish you and throw you there well that's where he grew up he knew every aspect of it he loved it that's where he wanted to be so he was always saying don't throw me there so they would throw him there so that's how he escaped so this with the lemon test is I love talking about this question. It's like, did I I send him this question to ask so we could answer this on air? I mean, this is really what I want to, I'm passionate about this. It goes back to the fact that in 1971, the Supreme Court gave the silly lemon test that here's how you can tell if something's constitutional. Don't read the Constitution. Read our three-pronged test here. That's what the Supreme Court struck down with the Coach Kennedy case. And so in, that, in the Bremerton case, Coach Kennedy, they said, look, that was a silly test, should never have been used, it's off the books, we're not gonna use it anymore. At that point in time, 7,300 court cases that had been decided on the lemon test are now off the table, they're constitutional again. So currently right now, all across the nation, there is an aggressive push encouraging people to start doing these things again. Use nativity scenes. Get the Ten Commandments back in the classrooms. Start having religious activities. Do things we used to be able to do before we had a, a Supreme Court that went rogue on us and said we couldn't. And and, and and to be fair and honest, right, as much as we would love to go back to the era of the
2: Founding Fathers, where you did have gospel ministers coming in and, and evangelizing students, and this was a priority of the day, we, we recognize that we're not saying that there are no boundaries. Right. And now public right. schools are Christian schools. In the sense of, like, although right, we're not arguing whether it should or shouldn't be, but we're recognizing that by and large, where teachers were told that, well, if it's it's religious, you can't use it in your classroom. Well, that's not true, especially as the question was asked: What if it's, it's historic content and the founding father talking about Jesus or the Bible or the, it mentions Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Could you have that up in your classroom? The answer is absolutely and emphatically yes. You can and you should. Even the idea of the Ten Commandments, could the Ten Commandments go back up? Well, this is where, it, in addition to the Lemon Test, this is something that has now, the Supreme Court's already ruled on this. And, Dad, I don't remember what year
0: it was the Supreme Court ruled upholding the Ten Commandments. 1980, it took them out of classes. And 2005, it says, okay, our bad. You can post the Ten Commandments visibly. Yeah, it
2: was a, the Stone v. Graham case was 1980. That's when the Supreme Court said, you can't display that. But it was a 2005...
0: Uh, and actually, was it a Texas case? Yes, it was. That Perry was, versus Van Orden. And it was based on that Ten Commandments. And it's not small. It's like six and a half feet tall outside the, the Texas Capitol. Rick, you've seen it how many times going in oh, the legislature. Yeah. Got pictures and, and, with it. <laughs> it. It's monstrous. You know, it, it's huge size. And the court said, no, 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 it, it's fine. And, well, why would they not say you could have the Ten Commandments up when they got over 50 depictions of the Ten Commandments in the U.S. Supreme Court?
2: I mean, give me a break. And this is where, going back to the Ten Commandments, the U.S. Supreme Court has already ruled, it's constitutional, it's legal to display the Ten Commandments. Now, there might be some parameters about how you display it and what additional commentary you give with the Ten Commandments when it's displayed. And this is where there are great groups like First Liberty, like Liberty Council, Alliance Defending Freedom, Pacific Justice. We can go down the list of of the great groups that are out there that will give guidance on this. But the bottom line is you don't have to refrain from doing something that is historic, that is factual just because there's religion in it. That, that I guess Supreme court decision, the limit case that where they ruled there's limitation on that, that limitation has been thrown out. It doesn't mean there are no rules anymore, but it does mean you don't have to avoid something just because it's religious or it's pro Christian or pro biblical if there is historic and constitutional perspective in it.
0: Yeah, be tasteful in what you do, use the golden rule. Do the others what you would want them to do to you. You're not gonna cram it down their throat because you don't want somebody doing that to you. But to display or to show pictures or to instruct on, on good things like don't steal and don't kill and don't purge yourself, absolutely, that's back on the table now. So the 10 commandments are back in. Now here's the deal, you can put these back up and there's legislatures right now as we're talking here, there are legislators working on passing state laws to put the Ten Commandments back in the classrooms. They're trying to put the Ten Commandments back in every state, but you don't have to have a state law saying you can put the Ten Commandments up to have the Ten Commandments in your classroom. You don't have to have a state law. The court has said this is OK, historical stuff. This goes back to even four years ago in the Bladensburg case where the court said, look, if it's a long-standing historical tradition, we're going to consider it that it's constitutional unless you can prove otherwise. So you you can't do just anything you want to. Again, be tasteful. Just use the golden rule. But you can do this. And Ten Commandments, yeah, put them up in your classroom. Uh, make a copy of the one that, that was in the 1980 case they had in Kentucky schools. Put that up. That's a historic copy from a court case. And this is,
2: again, where I would encourage teachers, go to a group like First Liberty. Go to people to get some guidance because they recognize how the landscape is changing and they can give you guidance To make sure when someone challenges it, when you have somebody from the district say, hey, you can't do that, you would love to have the backup of one of these great legal groups to say, nope, this is totally legal. It's totally constitutional. Here's the case. Here's the rationale. Here's the reasoning. So definitely we'd encourage you to to find some guidance along the way. But if it's a founding father quote, if it's a historic individual quoting something that is pro-Christian, pro-religious, pro-Bible, totally fine. Yeah don't even question that. But like for the Ten Commandments, for some of these things, it might be strategic just to ask somebody a question. And remember these these religious liberty groups will represent and give guidance for no money, no charges, totally free. They just want to help preserve and defend religious liberty in this nation. So go check
0: out one of those websites and they can give you guidance along the way. And here's going to be a real key point. You can do this and you should do this. The question is, are you willing to fight for it? Because somebody's going to challenge you. Some, Especially in Santa Fe and New Mexico, they're going to jump in and say, you can't do this. And you're going to have to say, yes, I can. I've talked to a legal group and they're willing to defend this. And by the way, that legal group Tim mentioned, they actually want to see all 7,300 of those expressions back, back up again. Because now the courts allow that, which means you've got to do some things in your communities and you'll get challenged. And they're going to say, great, we've been waiting for this one. This is what we want to see done. So just expect that, yes, yes, you can do this. This is the new the new standard out there. But when you do, be prepared to be challenged and be prepared to have backbone and and call the first liberties, Uh, call the, the Matt Stavers at Liberty Council, call Alliance Defending Freedom. This is what they've been waiting for. This is being thrown in the briar patch with burr rabbits, what it amounts to. They've been begging for this.
1: And those guys are not just willing to do this. They are the best of the best. These are the legal eagles. I mean, these are the ones that that have been doing this for decades, and they know how to win. Very exciting stuff. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. We've got more of your questions here on this Foundations of Freedom Thursday.
2: friends this is tim barton of wall builders this is a time when most americans don't know much about american history or even hebrews of the faith and i know oftentimes for parents we're trying to find good content for our kids to read and if you remember back to the bible to the book of hebrews and it has the faith hall of fame where they outlined the leaders of faith that had gone before them well this is something that as americans we really want to go back and outline some of these heroes not just of american history but heroes of christianity and our faith as well i want to let you know about some biographical sketches we have available on our website one is called the Courageous Leaders Collection. And this collection includes people like Abigail Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Francis Scott Key, George Washington Carver, Susanna Wesley, even the Wright brothers. And there's a second collection called Heroes of History. In this collection, you'll read about people like Benjamin Franklin or Christopher Columbus, Daniel Boone, George Washington, Harriet Tubman, friends, the list goes on and on. This is a great collection for your young person to have and read. And it's a providential view of American and Christian history. This is available at wallbuilders.com. That's www.wallbuilders.com.
1: We're back here on Wallbusters. Thanks for staying with us on this Foundations of Freedom Thursday. Next question out of College Station, Texas. So Texas Aggies everywhere are on the edge of their seat waiting to know what the question is from College Station. Here we go. Gerald says that at his daughter's school, they are saying that we're a representative democracy. He says he has a problem with this answer. In our type of government, everyone votes for a small group of people to represent them And that's the type of government the United States has. Am I wrong to think that what my daughter's school is teaching is not correct? So representative democracy, guys, versus constitutional republic, what would be the difference?
0: Well, I've got a bias here with them. I don't like the term democracy at any point in time. Founding fathers said that's really, really, really bad. But when you talk about a representative democracy, that's not a democracy. A democracy is everybody votes on everything all the time. It's run by Passions and Mob. When you elect a group of people to represent you, a smaller group, you can have a representative democracy in that the people have a voice, but they don't get the final say as, as the leaders they elect. But it's easier to say a Republican form of government because that's what the Constitution says. That's what the Constitution requires. I'm just biased against the word democracy. I'm tired of hearing save our democracy. We got that for months. Uh, but a representative democracy is actually an okay, acceptable term.
2: Well, we also should be pushing back a little bit on the usage of the word democracy because we've heard literally Democrat strategists say that they should abandon the words Republican or Republic and Constitution or Constitutional because that gives people too much to cling on to and push back against whatever the modern swing popularity thing is. And they said, we should just say democracy. That way, if 50% of the people want it, and this was really a move... Uh, To try to strategically undermine the Electoral College because they can say, "Wait a second, the majority of people voted for Hillary Clinton, not Donald Trump." They wanted to remove the constitutional structures or the republic structures of our nation, and so when you have people openly, like on on microphone in an interview, saying this is why we are making this move, it also makes me want to say, "Well, then we're we're going to be very careful how we use that word," recognizing that as you pointed out in the Constitution. It says we are a Republican form of government, not Republican Party, a Republican form of government. We as a nation, this is a republic, the way our government structure runs. And so that's where I also would push back on the usage of the word democracy.
0: Yeah. And and Tim, that's a great point, is pushing back against what the political narrative is trying to be. It's not necessarily whether the question itself is totally accurate and factual to say we're representing democracy, But the fact that the other side is trying to redefine terms in order to make us something we're not, that's a really key point. And so just on that alone, it's probably worth doing some pushback because you don't want to lose that term Republican because that is the constitutional term. That is a unique form of government. It is very different from democracy. Uh, The founding fathers thought democracy was the absolute worst form of government, which, again, is why I've got a bias against that word. But nonetheless, that, that's a great point from political considerations, Tim. All
1: right, guys, final question of the day, and it uh, comes from Jamie. I love this. She said that their family carpools together for about an hour round trip every weekday, and we listen to Wall Builders on the way, uh, but would like to have suggestions of other podcasts or audiobooks that you three listen to with your families for the drive home. Our sons are 17 and 12, have been through Constitutional Live, which was awesome. We all really enjoyed Unbroken by Laura hillebrand on audiobook uh two we in fact we had laura uh, on about that book man years ago anyway uh she goes on to say do any podcast or audiobooks related to history creationism literature or current events come to mind it's hard to weed through the drivel out there these days and we're trying to avoid garbage in garbage out all right guys what would you recommend uh for jamie and her family to listen to you know one of the challenges is now everybody who has a
2: microphone or a a smartphone (laughs) is starting their podcast. So it it does become increasingly challenging and difficult. Uh, I mean, guys, for me, I know that I listen to some of the major conservative uh, thought leaders uh, and I don't listen to their podcasts every day. These are things that sometimes I'll rotate through based on what the conversation is. So whether it's a Charlie Kirk or whether it is a Ben Shapiro or a Glenn Beck uh, and you know, sometimes there's there's other individuals. There's individuals that might be on on Joe Rogan, and I'm saying this with a huge caveat because Joe Rogan is not a family friendly podcast. But sometimes when he had some of these doctors that were pushing back against COVID, that there are some people on there that the conversation is very intriguing, even though it can be a little adult related. And as as individuals who are are wanting sometimes to hear what other people's takes are, different perspectives, different opinions on things, it can be helpful. And again, this is as Kind of adult conversation. This is not something that I have my one and three-year-old daughter listening to me if I'm listening to a Joe Rogan podcast along the way. But for for me, I know that I get so much of news and things throughout the day that more times than not, I if I'm gonna listen to a podcast, it will often be more of a church-related podcast. So so maybe a gateway with a Robert Morris or somebody to that effect. And then I use Audible, guys, so much. We the, yeah. the end of last year, we we kind of went through some of a book list, and we said, man, we can make an entire program just highlighting and talking about some of the books that we listen to. Uh, and, and so I spend way more time probably on my Audible than I do on podcasts. And it's just, again, the nature of what we do, because we are in the news inundated. Uh, we're getting hundreds of emails a day uh, from different kinds of news outlets and websites, to keep us updated and informed on what's going on, so we filter through so much. So I don't know that I really have some some great individuals to point to. Again, there's so many people out there, and we do know some some great individuals that have podcasts. Uh, guys, what do you think? You, do you have a favorite or recommendation?
1: My number one uh, go to is uh, is John Cooper. Cooper stuff, and and uh, you know it's funny. I think families would enjoy it because he's funny and he's he's down to earth. On the other hand, he does hit some pretty deep. Topics and theological discussions and whatnot, which sounds weird because he's kind of, you know, he's a rocker, basically Christian rock brand called skillet. Uh, But he uh, he's just been so spot on on the on the timely issues of the day and staying really biblical. Like he constantly takes it back to biblical instruction. So I I love his. It's only once a week, but uh, that's one I would recommend. Man, I'm going back to the 40s, 50s, and 60s. I'm going Louis Lemoore. It's, it's Western
0: stuff. It's, it's yeah, the audio Do you books. remember when I
1: set you up on Audible for Louis Lemoore? That was, uh, of like, course, bro.
0: I don't know, 12 years ago or oh, something. It's got to be a while back. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: and, and, and caveat, Louis L'Amour's and all the Western. These uh, were not always the most godly, righteous people, and <laughs> maybe some of their vocabulary now. It's 40s, 50s, and 60s, and so you might get the D word, the H word every now and then. It's certainly... Is not as aggressive as a lot of modern yeah. culture and what things are. However, uh, that is a little bit of that in there. So, parents, you might have to navigate some of that as we go. But, man, those are still some of the greatest stories. Oh, the stories, it and was the action,
0: and, and all that. Such a good adventure. storyteller. Yeah,
1: it's great. My my daughter, Cameron, is has gotten into Louis L'Amour books. Uh, David, I told her you would be very, very proud. Folks, thanks for listening today. We appreciate it. You can send in questions to radio at wallbuilders.com for our next Foundations of Freedom Thursday. You've been listening to Wobble.